All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why are the playoffs better at Boston Pizza? Because we've optimized our sports bar experience by studying in-depth analytics. Starting with our new BP Winged Ribs, currently leading all apps in wings above replacement, and deep-fried pickle wedges, an early favorite for the unanimous number one overall pickle. And, of course, the advanced stats darling and leader in pints per game, the new Beer Mosa. Catch the playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Shut up. Have you ever played the game? Do you know what I'd be doing if I scored four goals? Yeah, Jumbo Joe. That's all I can think about. Joe Pavelski off the floor and on the board, Paul Korea style, to open up round two for the Dallas Stars. Welcome into Daily Faceoff Live, everyone. It's a Wednesday, Wednesday, May 3rd edition presented by Botano.ca. The game starts now at Botano.ca. 19 plus, please play responsibly. He's former NHL netminder and current Daily Faceoff analyst, Mike McKenna. Mike, how are you doing? I'm joyful today, man. And it's funny because even though like Dallas lost last night, watching Pavelski pop four like you just described off the opening was just, it was wild, man. It it's, seems like it's completely on par for what we've seen so far in this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's dive in with exactly that. Joe Pavelski's magical night takes a huge hit in the opening of the first round against the Minnesota Wild and quite literally bounces back with one of the nights of his career. A four-goal effort, and really just from opening a puck drop, it was Joe Pavelski's night, if not the Dallas Stars' night, 
putting up four goals in some of them complete Pavelski fashion. Uh, his first game back in the lineup, he becomes the oldest player to score at the age of 38, four goals in a single Stanley Cup playoff game. Mike, when you think back on Joe Pavelski's night, what will you remember? And for me, like I said, it's his old teammate in Big Joe, Jumbo Joe, that said that uh, almost 10 years ago now, RIP Jason Botchford, the guy who printed the quote, but uh, certainly something that stands out that I'll probably never forget. Yeah, two things about it. I mean, first, Dallas wasted this unbelievable game by Joe Pavelski. They didn't get off to a good start in the beginning, and they're down 4-2 to before they really knew it. Um, but for me, it's it was such a classic Pavelski game in the way that not only was he good in the faceoff circle, but it's the way he scored goals, Frank. I mean, he can score on a clean shot, which he did to open scoring less than three minutes in, and you could feel that he hits feel on the flow right off the bat. But from there, what comes across is Pavelski's hand-eye coordination. I mean, he's the oldest player to ever score four goals in a playoff game since, like, we're talking since Maurice Richard. Yeah, he was the 35 years old when he did it last. That was 1957. So, like, dude, watching Pavelski pick these pucks out of the air, like, his deflection on the shot from Thomas Harley from the point was at the hash marks and it's off, like, the shaft of his stick with no angle on it, Frank. Like, his hand-eye coordination, it's got to be top among athletes in the world. He's a scratch golfer. Um, so, I mean, we're waxing poetic here about Pavelski because it was an unbelievable night, but Dallas didn't get it done. So yeah. tough bounce that way. I found it interesting. Pavelski was between Marchmont and Domi, uh, and they seem to have found a little magic as well. Yeah, well, I'm wondering why they didn't go back to that line that had really been, I think, arguably pound for pound, the best line in hockey this year. But more than that, I'm wondering why they didn't get it done on a night that they scored four. Where they were clearly overwhelmed by the Kraken, and we'll just roll right into topic two, which is the Kraken-focused aspect of game one. But it almost seemed like, despite the fact that the Kraken won in a very specific way um, in the first round against the Colorado Avalanche, outworking, uh, creating pressure, they did all those same things against the Dallas Stars, in game one and it kind of felt like even knowing that was coming in dallas still got punched in the mouth and seemed to be a bit staggered by it why was that yeah well because the kraken are a really good hockey team and it feels like all season long we've been trying people myself included have been trying to convince myself why they aren't you know and it would always just eventually go back well they don't have goaltending well they do now like group hours played well and the kraken are defending on top of that so if you're playing against the Kraken and you know they're going to forecheck you like crazy, which they did last night, and I think for Dallas, they look at that game and think, well, we made mistakes. We let them in the game. No, man. Like, Seattle forced it. Like, they only gave two power plays to the Dallas Stars. They, they won battles all over the ice. They had four different goal scorers in the game, and they played with a ton of speed through the neutral zone. And look at this. This is a veteran team. This is a mature team. They have seven Stanley Cup winners over there. Look who scored last night. Schwartz, Schultz, Gord. That's three of their four goals. They all have rings on their fingers, Frank. And I, I think that's a big reason why this team is so good in Seattle. They have experience that they know how to play. They play to their identity. And they just didn't give any space to Dallas, especially on the forecheck. They also swarmed Jake Ottinger. You see 44 shots on goal. It was definitely the most average that Jake Ottinger had looked. And I saw people on social media thinking, hey, is there a chance that they pull Jake Ottinger after the first period? He seemed human for the first time in a long time. Um, when you look at 
these two goalies, and I know we broke down the goalies yesterday in the matchups, but are you more concerned about Philip Grubauer's game one allowing four or Jake Ottinger's game one allowing five? You know, I'm really not concerned about either goaltender, Frank. Like, I thought Ottinger had a bit of a rough start. One of the goals was deflected off Lindell's stick, but the two high in a row blocker side. But he came back and played really well down the rest of the game for the for the Stars. So I think that resiliency is there. Um, what really impressed me about Seattle, though, man, is just the number of hits and takeaways, how much they led by such a wide margin. I don't think the goaltending is going to make up for that. So I still give Ottinger the edge in this series. I'm not concerned about him. It would take another second game in a row where he allows four or five for me to start feeling that maybe he's not quite there. Yeah, it would take another game like that for Philip Grubauer for like five alarms to be firing for the Seattle Kraken, though, uh, as opposed to just one for Jake Ottinger based on his track record. Not just, yeah. you know, round one was exceptional for him and he played really well against the Avs, but his track record over the last two years would seem to indicate that there's a big uh, recession coming in terms of his numbers regressing to the mean. Uh, Mike, when you take a look at, at the Kraken, one of the things I love looking at that box score again is five different goal scorers to open game one. They had 15 different goal scorers in round one, and it just seems like more of the same. They didn't change one part of their blueprint for success. What they are is what they are, and that's why I'm so surprised that Dallas was overwhelmed by it again because they knew exactly what was coming. I don't know if they discount the Kraken uh, in the same way that you were just talking yourself out of, but I don't know what it is. There's no secret here, and it's really just outworking Seattle. And I don't know that any team's shown that they've been able to do that so far. Yep, and that's the key to playoffs. You got to work. And I also wonder if Dallas doesn't counter by putting hints back with Pavelski and Robertson to try to get them up to speed five on five. You got the best line in the NHL five on five in that Dallas top line, and you have the best five on five team in the Kraken. Who's going to win that battle, Frank? I think that's how this series is going to play out. Yeah, that's uh, the first thing that I might do if I was Pete DeBoer is put that group back together. Uh, big show today. We're going to discuss in depth the Edmonton Oilers kicking off their series against the Vegas Golden Knights in a bit with Jason Greger. We're also going to preview the New Jersey Devils visiting the Carolina Hurricanes for round one. But let's recap the other game uh, game one, excuse me, uh, that took place on Tuesday evening. The Florida Panthers uh, shot across the bow of the Toronto Maple Leafs with their win in game one at Scotiabank Arena. And, and Mike, when you look at this game one, it kind of reminds me very similar of what we just talked about with the Kraken in that this was a very on-brand win for the Florida Panthers. They're in your face, they're physical, and for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the big wake-up call is they are a lot faster than the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, they are, and they're dangerous, and they're playing with an awful lot of mojo, the Panthers are. And I think really, you know, you look back at the course of the season for Florida, and Man, I, I'm sorry. I keep going back to to Big Walt calling him soft because it just. I'm sorry, dude. Like they completely have turned around the way they play ever since. He's that their happened. MVP of the I, season, as far as I'm concerned. There's, there's no way around that, and you know that stems from conversation between Matthew being frustrated with his team and his dad just openly airing it. And look what it's done. I mean, Sam Bennett absolutely clobbered Camp at the end of the first period. He got a he got an elbowing penalty. Probably could have got a charging penalty. He could have gotten a lot of them. But tell me that doesn't send a message early in the game that you're not going to be pushed around by a team like Toronto that has bulked up to be stronger, grittier, all that. But this game five on five, especially when you look at the Kachuk line, Cousins, Kachuk, 
Bennett together. Our Matt, Matt Larkin has a great recap up last night at Daily Faceoff, but he highlights how five on five, the shot attempts were 26 to eight in favor of the Panthers when Kachuk was on the ice. He was dominant over the Maple Leafs last night. And I haven't even mentioned Sergei Bobrovsky. He mm. was sick. Nine saves on the kill, Frank. Two of those consecutive blocker saves in the third, one on Matthew Nyes. Unbelievable. 14 saves in the third period alone for Bobrovsky. Shut the door. So I'm starting to be a believer in this Panthers team. I still think the series goes seven, but man, is this going to be a battle? Is it not? Yeah, it, it is. And I think that was a wake up call for the Leafs. I thought that it was also a kind of an uncharacteristic night for the Leafs in terms of what we've seen in these playoffs. They had a bunch of guys that I thought really didn't do a whole lot. They struggled. Um, they weren't noticeable. And, and I really think of some of their top stars when I point that out. Um, I thought Ilya Samsonov was fine. Um, and now moving forward, I think you try not to make too big of a judgment based on game one because round one showed us that it doesn't really matter. The teams that won game one in round one only 25% of them won the series. It's usually closer to like 70. So a big departure in terms of historical norms. And obviously Toronto has plenty of runway to bounce back, but quick question for you, which facet of the Florida Panthers from game one is more scary to you if you're a, a Leafs fan? Is it Matthew Kachuk and containing him, or is it Sergei Bobrovsky for at least a short period in time reverting to Vezina form? It's still Kachuk because he's consistently done it all season long. Bobrovsky's been streaky, but that high end that we saw from Bobrovsky, he looked like Blue Jackets Bob, didn't he? So I, I think it's still Kachuk because he's just been consistently a top two player in the NHL this year. Yeah, and arguably the MVP of round one. And if the Florida Panthers find a way to advance to round three, would find himself squarely in the Conn Smythe conversation. Let's talk about the New Jersey Devils heading to Carolina for game one of round two this evening. When you look at the Devils and what they were able to accomplish in game seven, knocking off the New York Rangers, uh, blanking them, in fact, how much are they meeting their match here? I think for both teams in terms of speed, that was the one key difference maker I thought that set them apart from the New York Rangers in round one. But now they have a little bit of experience under their belt. They have a little bit of swagger. You know that they have some game breakers, someone in Jack Hughes that was able to flat out take over games in the first round. Going against a Carolina team that really is stout. They, they are deep. They don't have many holes. They're missing their scores, which everyone knows. But they're not going to roll over by any stretch of the imagination. And I think the goaltending in some ways is a wash. Who do you like in the series and why? I like Devils. I like them in five games. Here's why. The Canes, to me, are not going to have the scoring to get past what the Devils can do because the Devils can match offensively and they possess the puck to the extent that they're not going to give the Canes a whole lot. I think you've got a match here. I think the Devils are the one team with their speed that can break through. And the regular season showed it. It was 2-2 for each team, Carolina and Jersey. Um, Jersey won two games, lost one, lost one in uh, an extra time frame. But I think for me, like the Devils, as long as that Meyer Heischer brat line gets going a little bit, they only had one goal in the first round. There needs to be a bit more there. I think that the Devils have the upper hand with it. Now, the Devils only scored two and a half goals, goals per game in the first round. But who were they playing, Frank? Igor Shishjurkin. And with all due respect to Freddie Anderson, Antti Ranta, they're not Igor, man. 
So you can take that 2.5 out the window in the first round for the Devils and bump it up to three against Carolina if you if you factor in goaltending, if you ask me. And if that's the case with Carolina, who's struggled to score, who, who's they're putting in under two and a half a game, I think the Devils will be able to come through on this. So I think, you know, especially if you're the Devils, you got to really make sure you're shutting down Martin Natchez. He's the one guy to me that really wasn't great in the first round. If they can continue to suppress him, I like their chances. This is one of your boldest takes that you've had, uh, putting a stake in the ground saying Devils in five. I'm wondering if everyone is kind of underestimating the Canes. Like I got make no mistake, I took the Devils. I have them winning this series in six. But my thought process is the the Canes were able to pick through a New York Islanders team that I think sometimes can be hard to play against. They had the goaltender in Ilya Sorokin that they were still able to overcome despite missing their scorers. And they're a team that competes and works. Not to say that the Devils don't, but I think they're going to be giving them fits at varying points in the series. And I wouldn't be shocked at all at the end of it to see it go the distance and the Canes be the team that ends up prevailing just based on everyone's counting them out. It's almost like universally I've seen the consensus has been New Jersey in five or six. And I'm like, huh, this Carolina team still has a pretty darn good collection of pieces outside of the scorers that are missing. Am I crazy? No, you're not, because I feel you on that. I think every game's going to be close. But I think you can look right to Andre Pallott for the Devils and John Marino as a reason why they're going to put them just over the edge to get past Carolina. They're going to be close games, but I think it's going to be a short series. Yeah, Carolina has a bunch of guys that need to step up. Need to see a lot more from Jesperi Kakaniemi, who was such a big part of their last six to eight weeks of the regular season, really played some of the best hockey of his career, uh, certainly in the last number of years since his rookie season and didn't have anything really to show for at one point in round one for the Carolina Hurricanes. Their game one goes tonight in Raleigh. Let's get to the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights with our pal Jason Greger. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Today's edition of the All 32 is powered by the new Fanalytics menu at Boston Pizza. 
deep fried pickle wedges, beer mosas, pizza flights. Hey, there's no better place on the planet to watch all of the Stanley Cup playoff action than your local Boston pizza. That's right. Pleased to be joined by my podcast co-host, Jason Greger, the DFO Rundown. You can hear him Monday through Friday on TSN Radio in Edmonton. Jason, uh, great to have you back to talk about this Vegas Golden Knights and Edmonton Oilers round two. And I'm wondering how big of a stylistic difference you think this is going to be for the Oilers, you know, vaulting from the LA Kings and their shutdown style to what should be a way more wide open series in round two. Obviously, the Oilers have the horses or the guns to adjust to that, but will it take some time for them to be able to wade right into it? Well, they've had success against Vegas the last two years, you know, six, one and one. They were three, oh, and one this year under Bruce Cassidy. Um, now, Vegas plays different in their own zone, really. They're very structured uh, defensively. Uh, you know, they don't, they'll basically clog down low to the net and they don't chase up high. That They'll prefer to give away point shots. And, and that's not Edmonton's forte. Edmonton is not a team that crashes the net and gets a ton of rebounds. You know, obviously they have a few, but that's not their forte. They're not a team that, uh, that does that. So, you know, Vegas will try to say, hey, if you want to, we'll leave the points open if you want, but. We don't think you're willing to pay the price of the rebound. So that's going to be a battle between the two of them. The one thing Vegas does different than L.A. is they do allow more speed through the neutral zone. The Kings were much more of a passive 1-2-2, one, two, two, and, and definitely they're 1-3-1 one, one in the neutral zone. So I think Edmonton will have more opportunities off the rush, but that also means they might give up more as well. So there might be some slight adjustment, but they've had success against Vegas you know, for, for a long time. Really, it's, it's funny. Like Vegas has success against everyone. They've had an unreal playoff success in their brief six years but Edmonton has always been a good matchup for Vegas well Edmonton has yeah. been a good matchup from their perspective against Vegas yeah and Jason you touched on something there I, I really wonder about the transition game especially for Vegas because at their core they still are a rush team they really excel on it if it goes wide open um, this could be a pretty interesting series uh, no surprise uh, I would like to ask you about goaltending uh, and the reason being is that you know, I didn't love Stuart Skinner's first round, but I loved his resiliency, and I thought he came through when necessary. Uh, he does have an 878 save percentage against Vegas this year, even though he went 2-0-1. A little bit of concern there. Brassois has actually been pretty good against Edmonton in his career with a 922 save percentage. So if you had to kind of give us a forecast of, of what each of these teams are feeling, especially maybe in Skinner's skates, how does it play out in that way in the crease? Well, Mike, uh, you obviously know the position way better than me, but, uh, you know, talking to some people, the one thing you'll notice with Brassois is that he's got the shortest stick length, one of the shortest stick lengths in the league, because he's got really long arms. And so if his hands are down, I, I think Edmonton's going to try to shoot upstairs. We saw as the series went on against Corpus Allo, they really exposed him up top, right? And uh, especially, you know, if they came down the left side, they were shooting far, um, far side and, and having quite a bit of success with it. Um, as for Skinner... I thought you looked at LA early on, they were really attacking side to side. And, and I think Vegas is, is going to do, you know, more of an East West dynamic offense, because I think that's, that's where you can have the most success against Skinner. The thing is Edmonton actually is, has been pretty good defensively. If you look all year long and, you know, sport logic and stuff, Edmonton's has been a pretty good team on limiting high quality chances. I think Edmonton had the, the third best expected save percentage on high danger chances of any team in the league. And usually that's a stat that uh, people will tell you, hey, that's, that's a representation of a team that can go deep in the postseason. So, you know, and they just beat the team that was above them in L.A. who was second. So I, I think Edmonton, usually 
they do a pretty good job of protecting their goalie overall. And I think that's what they're going to have to do because I agree with you. Skinner hasn't been great, but I've liked how he bounced back after getting pulled in game four. I thought, I thought he looked much more controlled, you know, obviously, you know, game six, everybody knows the broken stick. Like I don't, there's nothing you can do with that. Like, I, I don't know how many games he'll play and, and never have a situation like that, but he didn't get rattled and that could have rattled a young guy and he didn't get rattled considering the, uh, the time and the situation of that goal and, you know, giving up a tying goal at that point, the game shorthanded, you know, it was brutal, but uh, he didn't, he didn't waver after that. And I thought that was important. Jason, we talked about the season series and one of the big differences between the last couple games that these two teams played against each other in March was that Mark Stone wasn't in the lineup for the Vegas Golden Knights. I think he totally transforms that team. I think you saw the impact in round one, helping make it a short series against the Winnipeg Jets, but his health, to me, is the biggest X factor in terms of calling this series. We saw him exit practice and seem to be hobbling, um, you know, very gingerly leaving the ice for a guy that's had a couple different back surgeries now and uh, certainly went into round one with lots of concern. What's the latest? And, and if he misses any period of time, how much does that swing the pendulum in what you already see as potentially an Oilers favored series toward Edmonton's direction? Yeah, it was Vince uh, Sapienza who, who put that video out. And anybody who watched it, you know, I talked to some some experts who deal with it. It was clear that, he, you know, he has a back issue. Like you saw him when, when he was walking behind the bench and he stepped up. Like there was the complete, very, he was very erect, he's laboring. Anybody who's ever had a back issue, you know, there was a back spasm or something. You don't know how serious it is. Of course, Bruce Cassie said, I haven't heard anything. I'm hearing everything positive. So, you know what, it could have just been a spasm. And, you know, he'll get the best treatment possible and then he'll work. But the risk for Vegas with Stone is he had back surgery last May. Then he had another surgery in January and backs are finicky. We, we've seen guys who haven't had back surgeries and how many people out there all of a sudden, you know, you go to lift up a box and your back's out. Now, you're not an NHL player and you don't get the same treatment that NHL players have, but no question it's a concern. And if you're the Edmonton Orders, you know, you're going to want to try to engage Mark Stone because the thing is Stone, the, the reason he's so dangerous is he's relentless. He is constant motor going. He'll, he'll pressure defensemen. He wins tons of battles. And if his back limits his ability to engage physically, you know, that I think that's, it's impossible not to think that's going to affect his ability to impact the series. So, uh, you know, I'll be interested to watch kind of how the orders approach him. You know, it's playoffs and Hey, if, if you can give a little tug here or there to see if maybe that, that aggravates his back a bit, they're going to do it because I'm with you. I think with stone in the lineup, Vegas is a completely different team. He's their emotional leader. He had eight points in five games. He's obviously one of their best offensive players. And if he's out, that's a massive blow because I think Chandler Stevenson isn't as effective with stone out of the line. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that, Jason. And when he went out of the lineup in January, sources indicated to me then that he told teammates that his, quote, back exploded. So I'd be curious to see what he was feeling. All eyes will be on the lineup sheet for game one to see if Stone is indeed in the lineup. Thanks to Jason Greger for joining us today for the All 32, powered by Boston Pizza's new Fanalytics menu. All right, Mike, time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hashtag AskDFO. If you got something for us, throw it into the chat on YouTube as well. But there seemed to be a little bit of a kerfuffle on social media uh, on Tuesday evening as the finalists were announced for the Selkie and Lady Bing trophies. 
not really too many trophies, these two, that get a lot of buzz in the sense that they're not often talked about. And whenever the finalists come out, essentially everyone just kind of shrugs. Jack Hughes, Anjay Kopitar, and Braden Point were announced as the three finalists. But there seemed to be an uproar from fans in Seattle saying, hey, what about Matty Beneers? He's the first player ever as a rookie to have 56 points or more and two penalty minutes total for the entire season. Should he have been one of the finalists? And did you vote for him? I no, I just honestly, man, this is the softest player in the league award. Like jokingly amongst players, that's what it's called. Like everybody kind of eye rolls at it to a certain extent. But it's no, it's not. But I'm telling you, this is the this is the perception, right? It's like, oh, you want a selkie again? Or sorry, one a uh, not a selkie, but a lady Bing finalist. Um, I mean, he had two penalty minutes all year, Beniers. So did he get slighted? I, I guess so. But he's also a rookie in the league, Frank. So. Is he tiptoeing around? Is this the real version? Will we see something different next year? If he replicates again next year, I think he could be a finalist for it. I had Jesper Brad in there as well. He had six penalty minutes all year long. Uh, I mean, hardly touched anybody. Really gentlemanly conduct out there. So my perennial winner is usually Anze Kopitar, and, and I think he should be the guy again this year, four penalty minutes with 74 points. So I don't think it was really a slight. I think it's just a weird award that's hard to really characterize. Yeah, I did not have Braden Point on my ballot. I had Kopitar at number one. And then I always like going defenseman next, Slavin, and I had Nate Schmidt from the Winnipeg Jets because I think it's so much harder to defend. And I throw Kopitar in that category because he's one of the best defensive forwards in the league to defend and not take penalties. So, yeah, I, I recognize that Matty Beneers is a complete player and played a 200-foot game, but he's not in the Selkie conversation and, and therefore I kind of, it made it easy for me, at least from a defensive perspective to give the nod toward guys that do a lot of defending. Did Beniers still factor in my ballot? Yep, he was in the five spot. I also had Jack Hughes in there at four, but that just gives you kind of an indication in terms of what I was thinking. And I kind of viewed the rookie part of it from the same perspective of this is a guy that's still kind of getting his feet wet. In fact, some ways that might work against him because I think rookies, for whatever reason, right or wrong, the way NHL officials view them is that they have to sort of earn their stripes and earn their calls a little bit more than some of the veteran players in the league. But uh, that's a conversation for another day. Let's get to Gavin Turinic filling in for our guy Tyler Remchuk today for our daily face-off Batano daily bet segment. Gavin, what do you got? Yeah, so for tonight, so starting with that matchup in Carolina, uh, I'm actually rolling with the Devils as road dogs at plus 102. Um, obviously, the Devils are riding high after a Game 7 victory uh, on Saturday night against the Rangers. And also looking back to the last two meetings against these two teams, the Devils actually won both of them. So ahead of tonight, I think they make it three in a row. And then now jumping over to the other hockey game tonight is where I like Zach Hyman to find the back of the net. And this one's at a plus 160, so I absolutely love this payout. Uh, Scoreman did actually find a scoring touch at the end of round one, scoring goals in two of his last three games. And now with Hyman lining up against the Vegas Golden Knights in round two, Hyman has scored in consecutive games against the Golden Knights during the regular season. So for tonight, I like the Devils on the money line and Zach Hyman to find the back of the net, Frank. Thanks, Gavin. That is our Batano.ca daily bet segment. Batano.ca, the game starts now at Batano 19+. Plus. Please play responsibly. Thanks to Gavin. And that brings us quickly to garbage time to wrap up the show with Mike McKenna. What's caught your attention from around the NHL? Well, yesterday in postseason press conferences, Andre Vasilevsky, goaltender for the Tampa Bay Lightning, 
alluded to the fact that he's going to take some time off. Typically, he is one of the hardest training goaltenders in season, out of season. And he said, you know, first 30, 35 games this year, I felt normal as usual. And after that, it didn't feel like his body was on the same page. So he admitted that he didn't pay attention to his body uh, and the recovery that was recovery that was needed. He kept pushing himself to the limit. He said he might take four to seven weeks off, Frank. That's a lot of time. I did that during my career, the older I got, and I think it really paid dividends. So he's just played a ton of hockey. So of all the Tampa Bay Lightning members that have been there for their um, for their playoff run. So I think it's a smart move on Vassie's part. And I think it's also a little bit of reflection realizing, yeah, you got to take time off. You can't just push it every single day. Part of that comes down to communication as well. If he's not communicating it to the Tampa Bay Lightning and their staff, they can't act accordingly. But still, among the league leaders, again, with 60 games played, I'm wondering if you just ratchet that number down a little bit next season, even if he gets the time off required. But your point is well made, and the Lightning have played a ton of hockey. 77 Stanley Cup playoff games over the last 30 months. If that sounds impossible, it's because I think it's one factor that hasn't really been talked about enough is that the 2020 playoffs were played in September. Those condensed schedules, I think, even with a shortened 56-game season, still catch up to you with that amount of extra hockey in such a short period of time. Thanks to Mike McKenna. Thanks to Gavin Turinick and Jason Greger, as well as our technical producer, Alex Alar. That'll do it for today's edition of Daily Faceoff Live. We'll be back Thursday, 12 noon Eastern, to break down all the other opening two, uh, round two game ones. We'll see you then. Enjoy the games, everyone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're gonna be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you gotta pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.